And open your Bibles, please, in our study of Revelation to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. We just sang Fierce Lord Jesus, and if you wonder the connection with that in Bible school, that was the theme song, I think when I was about 10 years old, for a vacation Bible school. And uh, I still remember that, and the pages in the book that turned, um, and so uh, that was a long time. It wasn't all that long ago, was it? Um, But anyway, a great hymn. So this morning, though, we're going to take a step back to try to prepare us more for next week with Daniel 7. Let's pick it up with verse 1, and this is the Word of God. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared... I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off. It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of man was given to it. Behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise! Devour much flesh. And after this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast uh, had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured and broke, uh, and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that was before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns. Behold, there came up among them another horn and a little one, for which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. Behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. As I looked, the beast was killed, and its bodies destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad that your word does stand. We thank you that it's true and certain. We pray now for understanding of it as we come to it, Father, uh, as we come to your word and to the table. May your spirit work to exalt your son. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And the glorious scene that... Uh, we have in Revelation 4 and 5 that gives us a glimpse of the glory of God. Uh, the Apostle John's weeping. And he's weeping because he does not see an end to the world's suffering uh, and evil. 
And there are times today when we feel like weeping in our world, a world that's in utter and total rebellion against God. We see that rebellion uh, in Psalm 2's excellent summary of world history that introduces a rebellious world and then gives us God's reaction. First, he laughs at the audacity of the world. And then he gives his plan for history. He's going to install his son, King Jesus, onto the throne uh, and then encourage his son to ask for his inheritance, which is the inheritance of all the nations. And then reaching the nations means reaching hearts one at a time with the gospel, demanding that they give glory to the Son. And it's that same plan that is unfolded for us here in Daniel 7 and Revelation 4 and 5. So this morning, though, I want us to take a step back uh, to a passage we looked at a few years back, uh, Daniel chapter 7. You remember the setting is a traumatic first year of King Belshazzar's uh, reign. It was traumatic because Nebuchadnezzar is dead. And Nabodinus won the struggle to take his place. But he didn't like living in Babylon. And so he put his son Belshazzar on the throne to rule in his place. And any kind of transition like that brings up a great deal of uncertainty about the future. Both for the people of Babylon and for other peoples held captive there. As Israel was, the people of God. Uh, because Nabodinus and Belshazzar, neither one measured up to the stature of Nebuchadnezzar. And so what Daniel sees prepares us for what John will see in Revelation 4 and 5. And given all the uncertainty that we have in our world today, it gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow uh, in this rebellious world. So let's, let's go to the text. All right, Like John in Revelation, Daniel sees far more than what he describes uh, and we read here. He gives us, it says, a summary of the matter. And it's pretty bizarre at that. Daniel's had a dream, and it leaves him in his own words, my thoughts were greatly alarmed, and my color was changed. And he'd watched the four winds of the heavens stir up the sea. And he watches these hideous beasts rise out of the sea one after another, uh, coming out of the chaos of the sea, like out of the chaos at creation. Now to grasp Daniel's dream, we've got to remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar saw a magnificent statue with a head of gold. Um, and Daniel said that head of gold represented Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. It was a magnificent kingdom the world had never seen the likes of until that point. There was gold everywhere and beautiful blue ceramics. And they had hanging gardens there on, along the Tigris River in the middle of the desert. And the statue also had a shoulders of silver, a torso of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay, which Daniel said represented the various kingdoms that would come that would first defeat Babylon and then in sequence one another over time. And so through that we can see that the, the first kingdom would be the Medes and the Persians who defeated the Babylonians. Their far-reaching empire brought to us the first postal system. Then the Greeks came. That contributed to the concepts of, of democracy and of a language that became a universal language for centuries, for commerce and politics, for business and education, uh, for the arts. Uh, and then the Romans come with their Pax Romana, uh, the Roman peace. Uh, that's the, the, the feat and, and, the, and what follows them. They brought in the advance of roads, 
of aqueducts to transport water over great distances. This all enabled the building of great cities across the empire, the rise of trade. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was duly impressed with the kingdoms of this world. Art artifacts from that time period across the ancient world uh, from these empires are quite amazing. And we see the same common grace in our world today. You've got an information thing you carry with you in your pocket uh, that's amazing technology. The fight against disease and death in the last century has been so strong that people are living longer than any time since the early days of Genesis. In fact, some of us are so duly impressed with the kingdoms of this world that it monopolizes our thinking, our worldview. And we find ourselves caught up in living for the glory of an earthly kingdom, even though those earthly kingdoms are always passing away. Now, Daniel's dream changes the perspective. Now we learn how God sees the kingdoms of this world. Our earthly view was of what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. But now we see how God looks at the kingdoms he rules over. Kingdoms seeking power and domination and the overthrow of God himself, as we see in Psalm 2. And the beast in Daniel's dream correspond roughly to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. The first beast is, is Babylon. The talk about the feathers and the eagle undoubtedly pointed to what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he lost his mind in Daniel chapter 4. And that grotesque bear-like creature with the three ribs hanging out of his mouth, um, we see the aggressive nature of the Medes and the Persians uh, and their voracious appetite as they devoured the kingdoms of Egypt and Lycia and Babylon and elsewhere. You've got the swiftness of the leopard, pointing to Alexander the Great's rapid accumulation of the Greek Empire uh, and then divided into four ways. And the fourth beast described is so hideous, it's not compared to any animal uh, or beast, and it points to Rome and all the empire since, and the constant lust for power they have. And what we don't want to miss is the real emphasis is that these beasts are all hideous in appearance. And if Nebuchadnezzar's dream shows the glory of earthly kingdoms from a human perspective, that people fall down and worship, then Daniel's dream gives the divine perspective. Kingdoms twisted by sin and depravity. These are God-ordained kingdoms for God's ordained purposes. But they're also human kingdoms driven by, uh, not by a desire to know and to love God, but a desire to rebel against him. They pursue earthly greatness and earthly power. They exploit and abuse human beings made in God's image. They place little value on human life. So when God looks at them, God sees the hideous face of sin reflected in these bizarre monstrosities. And we can get all worn out by what we know today. What's going on all around us is, as sin has a field day, globally, nationally, locally, and in our own hearts. Sin rubbing rampant, running rampant. We, uh, and so we get discouraged, and we get frightened, 
And we get angry and we get fearful. And we get frustrated. But Nebuchadnezzar's dream had a hopeful ending, you'll recall. A little rock comes along, a tiny rock, and it hits the statue and knocks it down. Then that rock begins to grow and it becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. And it represents the eternal kingdom of God that's come. Christ is that rock that grows and His kingdom fills the world. And likewise, God in His grace does not allow Daniel to stay focused on these hideous beasts that represent the kingdoms of this world with their sin and violence. Instead, Daniel sees a far greater scene. Verse 9, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. As I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. It's really overwhelming. We, we see the, the colossal majesty of God, which is holiness and might. And he's seated on the throne, and he's not at all bothered by these beasts coming up out of the sea. His clothes are white, he's pure, he's righteous, he's holy. And we do well to sit and silently ponder his glory, his purity, his power. Now this is not the feel-good worship experience that so many people clamor for today. But this is the holiness and majesty of God. And this is power. This is real power. It's not transitory power. It's not the power of of Babylon or Rome or Beijing or Moscow or Washington, D.C. And it's a courtroom. And court's in session. And the books are open with the evidence as God declares it's time to judge sin. And God then deals decisively with that hideous fourth beast that's still running his boastful mouth. He's killed, destroyed, and burned with fire. The other beast... The picture Daniel paints is that God does judge and deal with sin on God's timetable. What this means is that sin to us seems oftentimes to be prospering. Uh, The wicked really do think they're winning. Soon enough their time will end and their doom is sure. But what about God's people? What happens to us? I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory uh, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this one like the son of man comes and descends on the clouds before the Ancient of Days. And he's given a a universal kingdom. And it's Jesus. And his kingdom is the one that struck the rock, uh, struck the statue and, and became the mountain that filled the earth. And the kingdom is the church itself. It's made up of peoples from every nation on the face of the earth. And here's the clear message for Daniel's day and for our day. 
God wins. But how? What Daniel sees is the same thing we're going to see in Revelation 5. Next week, Revelation unfolds for us that this one, like a son of man, is a lamb who's been slain. Now, when you look at these beasts, a lamb seems like a rather unlikely candidate to take them on. But he receives the kingdom based on his shed blood. Jesus himself is the blood sacrificed to atone for our sin. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So John writes, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So how do we respond to this today? In our ongoing study for giving us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Well, friends, seeing God's glory, seeing His majesty, and His judgment of sin, we become aware of our own sin. We begin to see that our sin is so hideous uh, that, that, that when we look at the beast, we find it appalling. That, that's our sin. We see sin in our own faces in the mirror of God's perfection and His glory. Friends, let me say, this is pure grace that God allows us to see both our sin and a glimpse of His glory. We do not deserve this view, this picture, but He allows us to see it so that we see our sin clearly and we grasp that God does deal with sin. So who can stand before such a judge? Only those who have found forgiveness of their sins in the blood of the Lamb. Only those who have asked God to forgive our sins based on the blood of Jesus. We see forgiveness and the gift of eternal life simply on the basis of faith, believing is true. And so God in His grace allows each of us to see our sin as just as hideous as that in these beasts, but allows us to see Jesus in all His glory. We see Him in His glory in that courtroom. We see Him in His glory on the cross in our place. Friends, that is grace. So what about us? Friends, when it seems in our world that evil and rebellion against God are triumphing, God says, keep the big picture. He ultimately wins. And what seems on any particular day that sin's winning in our own lives, God wants us to keep the big picture. God ultimately wins. He wants us to see how holy He is, how awful sin is, how real judgment is, and how amazing His grace is. So He reaches out to rebellious sinners like you and me, and He makes us His own. And we become part of His eternal kingdom in a world where earthly kingdoms fall all the time. So this morning, I hope we see where that we're appalled by our sin and that we're amazed by His loving kindness and His grace. Uh, and that's what this table's all about. Uh, the price paid on the cross with His blood for our hideous and appalling sin, 
uh, is so obvious. The grace that he would die for us becomes obvious. That this is the means by which our sins are forgiven. That he takes away our guilt and he gives us the perfect righteousness of Jesus that we do not deserve and could never earn. And so today our Lord Jesus invites all who are believers in him and members of the Saint of an evangelical church to come to this table. It's his table to remember what he's done, to be strengthened by it, to give us hope. Now, if you're not yet a believer, we're delighted you're here, but the Bible would urge you to let the elements pass. Instead, read the scriptures listed there in the worship guide. Children, now you've been examined by the session, likewise should not come, but if you have the desire to come see me, we're going to, the class will start the second week in July. Believers, we're called to examine ourselves to be sure that we recognize the body of our Lord, Jesus Christ, on this table. It means we look at our, our, our attitude towards our hideous sin. And if we don't think our sin is a big deal, if we don't think our sin is hideous, if we're not sorry for our sins that we battle, then we should not come to this table. Let the elements pass. Instead, pray, read God's Word. But if we're genuinely appalled at how awful our sin is, and thankful for His grace to us. And we're in need of strength to walk with Him and away from this world, from our sin. Then by all means come. In a world of chaos, sinful chaos, come and we eat the food together of the kingdom that lasts forever. So let's take a moment now and pray and examine our own hearts before a holy God. Father, we acknowledge that our sin before you is a hideous sight. Our sin is an appalling sight. Our rebellious hearts. Yet, Father, you have graciously forgiven us. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we claim that this morning. That, Father, our sins are paid for. And that we are forever part of your kingdom, a kingdom that will never pass away. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.